<laughs> good morning. Thank you, guys. You're so kind. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Um, good morning, and welcome to the JAR. Um, we're really glad that you chose to hang out with us today. And um, I'm not as nervous this time as last celebration, so hopefully my music stand flipped over last time. So you guys missed on that comic um, time, but... I'm not going to do it again. I'm sorry. Um, So I'm glad to have this opportunity to be speaking this morning um, and to be able to teach you guys God's word today. So um, normally at this time, middle school kids would go to the middle school experience, but the person who's teaching it, they have a prior engagement, so they're not going to have it today. Okay, so that's me. So we're not having it, guys. You're in here. You're stuck with me, but just in here. So um, hope you'll get something out of it, too. So I want to begin by asking you this question. Um, How are you with making plans? Um, Are you a planner? Do you live with a planner? Um, Do you think that maybe you have like a plan A and then you have a plan B and then you have all these backups? I'm definitely a planner. Um, So maybe some of you guys can relate about planning things out. So I want to show you this really short video from one of my favorite movies. And um, it's about these two guys going out on the road to make sales. And they're going to this customer that has said yes to them for like 20 years. um, And they're not going to take no for an answer. So watch this clip. All right, now, it's sale time. So remember, we don't take no... Uh, We don't take no prisoners. We don't take no for an answer. Oh, yeah. We don't take no for an answer. We don't take no for an answer. We don't take no for an answer. No. Okie dokie. No. Gotcha, thanks. Mm-mm. Terrific. Thanks for your time. Let me say, maybe. Well, then, I- I'd just like to add that the spectrometer readout on the nickel-cadmium alloy mix indicates a good rich strobe and fade, decreasing incidence of wear to the pressure plate. If you could just... Whoa, little fella, uh, you're not speaking my language. Mm. What my associate is trying to say is that... Uh... Our new brake pads are really cool. You're not even going to believe it. Like, um, let's say you're driving along the road with your family, and you're driving along, la la la, woo. And then all of a sudden, there's a truck tire in the middle of the road, and you hit the brakes. Whoa, that was close. <laughs> now let's see what happens when you're driving with the other guy's brake pads. You're driving along, you're driving along, and all of a sudden, the kids are yelling from the back seat, I gotta go to the bathroom, Daddy. Not now, truck tire. I can't stop. Help! There's a cliff. And your family's screaming, we're burning alive. No, I can't feel my legs. In comes a meat wagon. New guy's in the corner puking his guts out. All because... You want to save a couple extra pennies. And <laughs> to me, it doesn't get out. Now. Sir. Do you validate? Now. Okay, thank you. All right, so I know that video is terrible, but it's one of my favorite movies, and I think it's hilarious. Um, so Tommy, the guy played by Chris Farley, he's trying to save his dad's business. And plan A of, you know, going in to this guy that's bought off them for 20 years, That was the plan, like, oh, we're going to get a yes, no big deal. Quickly turns into hearing no and then maybe not getting arrested, right? Um, So maybe some of you have been there. Maybe not that extreme. Um, Maybe so. But we've probably all been there whenever we make plans, like, oh, this is how it's going to go, and then plan B happens. Um, So I know some of you, and if you're like me, you like to plan like this. 
um, very organized, have everything all out, and, you know, check off your list, um, type A personality, I guess. And then I know some of you are probably more like this, um, a week of poor choices, like try not to make any poor choices. That's the goal. That's how you plan. Um, I teach adolescents, so, um, you know. I'm pretty familiar with seeing that planner. Um, so a time that I actually planned and thought I had it figured, figured out was after college. So I went to Ball State, and I studied to become a teacher, and um, I enjoyed my classes, and the experience was really great there. But whenever I graduated, there were no jobs available at all, no teaching jobs. So basically, you had to either know somebody in the school system, or you had to wait for somebody to retire um, to get a job. And I remember interviewing several different places, and they're like, well, we don't really have any openings or you just don't have any experience. And I'm thinking, well, how am I going to get experience unless you give me a chance? Um, But there just weren't any jobs available at at all. So um, I have this college degree, can't really use it. Um, So luckily I had a plan B. When I was in college, I worked in property management, which is like leasing apartments. And um, I worked for an apartment complex pretty much the entire time I was in college. And my boss there offered me a job after um, in property management. She knew I was trying to get pursue my career in education, but I wasn't coming up with anything job-wise. And um, she offered me a position, which would be like a promotion in another town, and I could run a property there, which I was grateful for because I had bills to pay and I had student loans coming in. Um, just, you know, those wonderful things that happen after you get done with school. Um, but I would continue to apply for teaching jobs while I worked in property management. <clears throat> so I worked in that industry for about three years. And um, then I decided, well, I'm a planner. I can't just, you know, stick with this. Um, I'm going to make my own plans again. So um, I even packed up everything and moved to Florida. So I worked there for three years, and I was like, I'm going to go to Florida. They've got teaching jobs down there. One of my best friends lived in Jacksonville. She was already in a school system. And I was like, it's a shoe-in. Like, I'll definitely get a job. As soon as I moved down there that summer, um, they did, like, millions of dollars worth of budget cuts and cut teacher jobs and funding and things like that. So then I was like, well, here we go again, working in property management, but I couldn't live off that salary um, in Florida because it's expensive. Um, So then I moved back to Indiana. My parents really loved that, by the way, helping me move, you know, to a state and then back from a state. Um, But I'm really glad looking back at it now because if I got the job in Florida, I probably would have never left Florida. Um, I wouldn't have been back here. I wouldn't have met my husband, had my child, or even be standing here in front of you today. Um, So... You're like, great story, Dawn. What's the point? Um, So the point is, my plans were, I need a teaching job right now, and I'm going to do whatever it takes to make that happen. So I'm just going to figure it out and make my own plans until that happens. And God's plans were, wait, because I have a bigger, better plan for you. So have you ever set your plan A, um, but then had to turn to plan B? So maybe perhaps this is you. You're, you're dating this person, and you're like, eh, they're all right. I mean, there's some things I don't really like about them, but I'm dating them. And then, you know, I got a backup plan. I got this other person over here that if that doesn't work out, I'll just date them. Um, maybe I'm working this job, and it's not really what I want to do, but I'll just have to do it. It pays the bills, and then I've got another one lined up, or I'll just try to get another one if it doesn't work out. Or maybe... You know, I'm trying this whole living for myself thing. Like, I'm going to live it up. I'm going to do whatever I want. And then when all of that falls out, the bottom falls out, maybe I'll try the whole God thing. I mean, I don't know. We'll see. Or maybe you're making plans and you're also praying for those plans. So you're praying that maybe God will do this certain thing in your life. 
Um, but if not, like, here, God, I'm going to surrender this to you, but back here I actually have a plan, so, like, I'll work it out if he doesn't do what I want him to. Um, I'm not quite sure you can handle it, God, so I'll just ask, and then I'll follow up with my plan B if you can't get it done. I'm asking you to restore my marriage, but if you don't, then I'll just give up and move on to the next best thing. Um, where I'm asking you to break this addiction, but Lord, if not, I still have those drinks stashed in my closet where I have that set of pills that I can take. Because um, I'm not real sure you can break this and handle it, God, so i got, I got to have that plan. I'm asking you to heal my sick loved one, um, but if not, then we'll just try to find another opinion, or we'll do more treatments, we'll do holistic, we'll do this, we'll do that, we'll do whatever, but I'm not sure you can do it. Where I'm asking you to increase my faith, um, but if not, then I'll just try to be a better Christian. I'll just check off my Bible reading and my devotional and my prayers and just try to earn it. Um, or I'm asking you to help me to forgive, but if that doesn't work, there's always revenge, right? No, I'm just kidding. Um, sorry, that was a little out of line. Okay. So maybe you're like me, and you doubt God's plan. Uh, Maybe God's plan A. So you turn to plan B, which is yourself. And I know for me, whenever I do something and take it into my own hands, and I don't surrender it to the one who knows me best and loves me most, I totally mess it up. Um, I hope I'm not alone in that, because I mess things up a lot. But the good news is, is that we serve a God that's bigger than all of our plans. So we can go into something and having this plan and, and a backup plan even, and God knows what we need. He loves us so much that even when we're praying with that backup plan, that he will follow his plan, and he sees that bigger picture. So one of my favorite sayings is, it's hard to see the picture when you're inside the frame. And that's kind of how we are. Like, we're inside the frame, so we don't see everything. But God sees on the outside, and he sees our whole life. And so he knows what's best for us, and he sees that big picture. The Bible says in Proverbs 16:9, we make our own plans but the Lord decides where we will go. So again, we can have our plan A, um, even our plan B, but ultimately the Lord will decide what will be fulfilled with that and he'll work it out according to his will for our lives and his plan because he knows best. Um, So sometimes we make our plans and we fail. We ask for things um, and we don't receive those. And we become desperate. And so sometimes when we become desperate, we just turn to God at that point. Billy Graham once said, have you ever said, well, all I can do is pray? Anybody been there? Like, well, all the options are gone. All I can do is pray. He said, all I can do is pray. When we come to the end of ourselves, we come to the beginning of God. So where we end, he begins. And I truly believe that. Um, And it's so hard in our society today because it's all about me, 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 me. It's all about self. Do what's best for you. Don't love others. Be selfish. It's me time. Um, but we have to come to the end of ourselves, and then we come to the beginning of God. So my friend who lives in California recently sent me a little care package, um, and she just picks up odds and ends things. Sometimes I'm like, what is this crap? But I'm thankful. Um, but she sent me this cute little journal, and it originally just said, you got this. And so I love journals. That's how I write out my prayers. Um, sometimes if I talk, I get distracted, so I write them out. And... Um, as soon as I got it, it said, you got this. I marked that out and put, God's got this. Um, and so why did I do that? Because there's nothing that I can do on my own. Um, when I do things on my own, I mess it up. And I've wasted so much time and energy trying to do things on my own and control things and worry and just worry about things that aren't in my control. 
So I have to trust that God's got this. And so that's your big idea for today. Um, your first fill-in for your big idea is God's got this. So you can fill that out with your program by hand, or you can fill it out on the app. And if you don't know how to use the app or download it, hand it to an adolescent nearby, and they'll do it for you. That's what I do at youth all the time. I'm like, hey, this is messed up on my phone or computer. Can you guys fix it? They're like, it's free tech support. <clears throat> all right, so God's got this. So in the story that we'll look at today, there was a woman who had tried everything. She had tried many things on her own, and she had nothing left. So we're going to look at the book of Mark, and that's in the New Testament, which is in the second half of the Bible. And one day was teach, Jesus was teaching to the large crowds, and there was a woman whose plans had failed. So she had a medical condition in which she was bleeding for 12 years. So stop and think about that. Like a lot of times when we hear a story or we read something, we don't put it in context and actually think. Think about how long 12 years is and think about what it would be like to be suffering from a condition that there was no cure. And maybe that's some of you today. Maybe you have a medical condition or you have a diagnosis that there hasn't been a cure and you haven't had any relief. So that amount of time um, she was suffering And perhaps it was maybe for her like a form of anemia or endometriosis or some sort of female issue. Um, But perhaps her plan A was she sought out all these different doctors. Um, She found these doctors and tried to get help. Nothing happened. She spent a lot of money. She was trying to get a cure. um, And she was left with no money, no cure, no answer, and still suffering. So not only was she enduring this horrible physical condition, but she also was in a terrible emotional and mental state. Um, She was an outcast. She was shunned by society. And because she had a bleeding issue, um, people viewed her as unclean. So that meant that no one could touch her and she couldn't touch anyone else or they would become unclean. So you've probably read about things like this in the Bible or maybe this happens in our world today. In third world countries, people believe they're cursed or um, they will become contaminated if they touch this person with this issue. So uh, that was where she was at, basically. So let's look at the story. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman who was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. So this woman suffered again for 12 years and she came to the point where she had no other options. Um, She came to the end of herself. But the key is, is that she believed. So we don't know much about her. Um, but her faith is definitely something to admire. Could you imagine having a faith like that, a faith that pushes through people, that crawls, that hides, that does whatever it takes just to get to Jesus, um, just to touch his clothes, like, I'm going to get to him no matter what, and I don't even have to let him know I'm there. I'm just going to reach out and just touch his clothes, and that's all I need. So whether she was confident or desperate, it doesn't matter. If her life maybe didn't measure up, It didn't matter. She stepped out in faith. And you see, faith opens the door to the power of God. It can be bold and brave as this woman seemed to be as she pushed through the crowd to get to Jesus, but it can also be laced with fear and trepidation. Um, Maybe you're like me, and sometimes you think, my problems are too big for God. 
or I'm too messed up, or this, this situation is just impossible. It's too complicated. Or maybe you feel like your problems keep you from God. Like, man, i got to get my life together before I try to do this God thing. Well, guess what? God doesn't care. He loves you just the way you are. And if you think you have to fix everything or your problems keep you from God, then don't think that. That's not true. Um, he's always ready to help, and we should never let our fear come in the way of approaching him. I want a faith like the woman in the story, a faith that will stop at nothing to push through the crowd, to seek him out, simply just to touch him and seek him. And one way that you and I can have faith like that, a way that we can be bold and seek Jesus is through prayer. So it's basically our best line of communication to Jesus. So if I were to take a survey in here and say, all right, what's the number one quality? Probably if I ask people, especially that have been married for like 30 plus years, what's the the one key to your relationship? And they would probably say communication. Because love can be intense, but sometimes that love fades and it changes. But communication is what keeps relationships healthy. Um, I know I'm a counselor, and I talk with many people, couples, relationships, things like that, and the biggest issue usually is a lack of communication. So if we're not communicating with Jesus, then how are we supposed to know what he wants for us? How are we supposed to know his will and his way? How are we supposed to know what plan A or plan B is or if we're trying to do it ourselves? Like, we have to communicate with him, and how we do that is through prayer. So if we truly believe, like the woman who touched his clothes, or that's how we want to believe, um, then the first way to pray for God to move is to pray confidently. And that's your first fill-in under God will move when you pray if you pray confidently. So the Bible says, all things you ask for in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. And that's Matthew 21, 22. Write that down. Okay, Matthew 21:22. So you're going to need this promise um, if you really want to pray confidently, um, because it's hard. It's it takes persistence. It takes a lot to continue to pray confidently, especially when you're doing it and you're not seeing anything happen. Like Chris was saying on the video, none of us want to wait. So um, you're going to need that to remember. If you ask in prayer, you will receive. If you have faith. So what else does the woman in the story show? She shows persistence. Um, She doesn't give up, and she risks it all to get to Jesus. She rejects any shame or fear and just simply goes to him. And because she was considered unclean, people actually thought that, you know, they would be contaminated if she touched them. Um, So you could imagine her fear of contaminating Jesus, right? That's what she thought, like she would contaminate him if she touched him. But faith steps forward in the midst of fear, and it does it without discouragement. So this woman went into the situation expecting Jesus to heal. So what if we approached our prayer life like that? Um, What if we stopped at nothing to continue to pray for God to move? And what if we asked in prayer expecting God to actually answer, even if it seemed unlikely or impossible? Well, that is the second way to see God move in prayer. That's when we pray expectantly. So expectantly means, you know, without discouragement, expecting for something to happen. And when we pray expectantly, we show persistence in overcoming obstacles, not because we can do it, but because God can. And the woman in the story overcame 
the crowd and she overcame the obstacles to go get physical healing. But again, if we think about the situation and what actually happened, can you imagine just being in the presence of Jesus? So not only did she get her physical healing, but I'm sure she experienced an emotional healing as well just by touching him. She was an outcast. She was isolated. Um, No one wanted her around because of her issue. So that means if she had kids, she couldn't touch them. If she had a spouse, she couldn't touch them. Her family members, people that she loved, she she could not touch anyone. But no one wanted her around, but Jesus did. And he wants you to. And it doesn't matter how messed up you are, what you've done, what your past is. It doesn't matter anything about that. Um, He is simply a prayer away, and he is always there. So the woman approaches Jesus expectantly and with faith, which can be a model for how we should pray. But the story doesn't end here. So she goes through, she pushes through, she touches him, he heals her, but that's not the end of the story. It's wonderful, but it's not the end. So at once Jesus realized that power had gone out of him, he turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Jesus realized someone touched him, and he asked, who touched my clothes? And the disciples are like, dude, don't you know? Not really. That's my interpretation, right? I can just see him being sarcastic. Um, Well, yes. In fact, he does know. But he is allowing this woman to be seen. And he calls her out. And he's not doing it to humiliate her. He's doing it in a good way to make a point. He knows that she touched his clothes. But he's making a point. He just doesn't want her to be healed and move on. He wants her to be seen. So we talked about how possibly this woman's plan A was the doctors that she sought out to fix her problem. And then she ran out of money and still had no cure and no relief. So her plan B was Jesus. And if the woman is anything like me, or maybe some of you, I bet she had a plan for that encounter as well. So some of you planners, myself included, overanalyze everything. So we play out every single step that's going to happen before it happens. Like, I've went places and had the whole scenario, including the conversation and the words I was going to say in my head before I ever even went. Anybody with me? (laughs) No one wants to admit it. Okay. Um, And then it turns out completely different, right? Um, So I think maybe her plan was something like, all right, I'll slip in. I'm going to crawl on the ground. I'm going to push through unnoticed. I'm going to touch him real quick, get healed, and slip away. No one will even know I was there. And I'm sure this scene maybe played out in her head, too, with fear, like, Oh my gosh, I'm going to crawl through there, I'm going to touch him, but what if they know I, I, and I contaminate him? Like, I'm going to make Jesus unclean. Like, what if that happens? And then what are they going to do? So I'm sure she had several different scenarios playing out in her head, but none of them unfolded that way at all. So Jesus wanted to teach not only her, but everyone else around something about faith. Um, and so by having her identity revealed, Jesus acknowledges that she's important, she's loved, that she's worthy. And because everyone else in that society taught her that she wasn't, he wanted her to know that she mattered. He showed her that she mattered, and he wanted her to be seen. So my favorite part of this passage is, he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. He tells her that her faith healed her, not him. 
It was her faith because she believed. And he restores her. And then he tells her to go in peace. And so when we think about peace today, it's different than what they meant at this time biblically. So the Hebrew term for peace that actually forms the background of the New Testament, that concept of peace is shalom. And that means wholeness, well-being, security, and salvation. So he says, daughter, I've made you whole. I'm not just healing your physical being. I am healing your mental, your emotional, your spiritual, your security. You are safe with me, and now your salvation. And he restores her completely. Because that's what our God does. He takes broken people that have a past, maybe that are an outcast that no one wants, that everyone else has thrown away, and he makes us whole, and he restores us. Because there is no one that's too far gone from God. There are no throwaways. And there, all of the ground is level at the foot of the cross. So that's what our God does. And all we have to do is just ask. Um, so we pray confidently and we pray expectantly without discouragement. And God will move. Why? Because God's got this. He's got it under control. He sees that big picture. Even when we don't know and we can't control it ourselves, he's got it. So some of you know a little bit of my story, but for those of you who don't, um, I grew up in an alcoholic home. It was pretty dysfunctional. But then again, who hasn't had dysfunction in their childhood, right? There's no such thing as normal. So my dad was an alcoholic for as long as I can remember. Um, And there should be a picture of him. There he is on his Harley. That was his baby. Um, So he was a really hardworking man, and he provided for us financially. Um, and he was a good man, but, you know, he was an alcoholic and also a workaholic. So when he wasn't at home, he was either at the bars, or when he came home, he would usually drink until he went to sleep. And so as a child, I longed for my dad. Um, I longed to connect with him and to embrace with him and to feel his touch. And, you know, just as he picked me up as a child and when he hugged me ever so tightly. Have you ever had anybody hug you so tightly that it's like a fart might almost come out? So that's, that was not on the script, by the way, and earlier I was like, should I say Anyways, I'm a youth director, so farting is just something we do. Um, but, you know, he would hug so tight. Um, but my dad, you know, we didn't have a close relationship at all. And I wanted and needed to be seen as his daughter. So as I got older, I, you know, growing up, I hated addiction. Like, I hated alcohol. I was like, oh, I will never touch that stuff. It's like the problem that all of this stuff stems from, all this dysfunction, all this fighting, I will never touch this stuff. But as I got older, I struggled with my own issues, um, and I actually began drinking myself, and I came to understand some of my dad's struggles through that. Um, I did learn to accept him for who he was, and I understood why he did what he did, because my dad drank to numb out, to numb out pain, and that's exactly what I did, because I didn't want to deal with the things that were hurting me. And I didn't really know Christ growing up at all. Um, So that was what I did. And I understood why he did what he did as I got older. It didn't make it right. It wasn't right that he did it. Um, But I understood that's how he coped. And that's all he knew how to do. So when I surrendered my life to Christ in my mid-20s, the Lord actually set me free from that alcohol addiction. And I'm not saying, uh, forgive me, Jesus, and it was over. It was a process. Um, I remember uh, surrendering my life to Christ, and I was still drinking every single day. 
Um, But he found me in my brokenness, and eventually as time went on, he decreased that desire for me. So if you're struggling with something like that, God can move. I promise you he did it for me. I'm like, I don't even think about it or want to drink now. Um, And I went from that drinking every day to God freeing me from that. So because I had experienced so much um, joy with that freedom in Christ, I wanted my dad to experience that as well. And also, I was part of Celebrate Recovery, and that's actually something that we have here. Um, So if you are hurting and you're struggling with addiction, or it doesn't even have to be addiction, it can be an anger issue, it can be divorce, it can just be stress, um, a mental health issue, whatever that is, I encourage you to go. Um, It's every Thursday at the Downtown Y at 7 o'clock. I promise you, people will come beside you, and it will be such an embracing community. Like, your life will not be the same after it in a good way. Um, So I did Celebrate Recovery and also did a step study. And through all that, I was able to forgive myself and also able to forgive my dad for everything that had happened. And a lot of times we can forgive other people, but forgiving ourselves is kind of a toughie. So um, if you're struggling with that and need somebody to help you, please don't go through it alone. I encourage you to go to CR. So it changed my life. It can change yours. And so then once I got some freedom in my life and some healing in my life, of course I had a plan, right? My plan for my dad, I saw it in my head. This is when we were still at the Y. He was going to come through the doors at the Y and go to church, and um, he was going to stop his addiction, just be moved by the Spirit, and accept Christ there on the spot. I saw it in my head. Not that God couldn't do that. He can. But it wasn't his plan. So I prayed. I prayed for eight years. Think about that. Eight years I prayed. And my prayer was, Lord, please break my dad's chains of addiction. Draw him to you, Lord. Bring him into a relationship with you. Each day, for 2,900 days, I prayed. Eight years I prayed. We have a circle of three thing here. We used to have a one-one-one thing. My dad's been on it ever since I've been a Christian. So, eight years I prayed. I got discouraged. I didn't see movement. I'd try to talk to my dad about God. I remember so many times getting psyched out, like, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it today. Go sit at his table, and he's like, bam, end of conversation. We're not talking about that. And I was like, because you didn't want to take off my dad. So he would shut me down time and time again, and I would still leave and pray and say, God, I'm not going to give up. You know why? Because God never gave up on me. When I was struggling and came to the lowest point of my life, God was right there beside me. So he never gave up on me, so I'm not giving up on this. So for the past two to three years, actually, I started praying those whatever-it-takes prayers. Those prayers that you come to the end of yourself and you just cry out, God, whatever it takes, please just move. Whatever it takes. And desperation. You see, my dad was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer just a year ago. This time last year he was diagnosed. And we knew the survival rate was pretty low, like 30%. Um, but we held on to hope, because what else do you have left to hold on to when you hear such a diagnosis? So I was by my dad's side for seven months, day in, day out, chemo treatments, doctor's appointments, radiation. Um, during that time, though, I got to know my dad. The man who I longed for, for a father's touch and embrace, I was actually taking care of him. I was helping him around stroking his hand and showing God's love, still praying each day and still asking, 
God to move. And I also would ask my dad, can I pray with you? Um, And those conversations opened up, and he allowed me to do that. And finally, after all these years, my dad saw me. I was seen by my dad as he softened with this illness, and I saw God move. My earthly father, my dad, he saw me. But you know who else did? My heavenly father. He saw me as he always did, and he saw my dad as he always did. And I am confident because of a conversation that we had just a week before he went into a major surgery that my dad surrendered to Christ. And God saw my dad, and he moved, and he answered. You see, because God answered every single prayer that I asked over those eight years, he answered every single one. He broke my dad's addiction because he was ill and stopped drinking. He brought my dad to him both near the end of his life and when I was able to have conversations with him about Jesus. And then when he took him to heaven five months ago, he answered every single prayer. And it's not how I planned it, but when I trust Jesus and I know his ways are greater than mine, I don't have to understand. So when I trust him, I don't have to understand. You see, when we pray confidently, he will answer. And when we take the risk and we push through the crowd and we do whatever it takes to get there and we cross those barriers, I promise you he will move. And when we don't give up and we don't get discouraged and we expect God to move, he will. And so when Chris asked me to teach today, I knew it would be my dad's story that I would share because I can show through his story how faithful our God is. Because if God can change a man like my dad and soften him, let me tell you, my dad was rowdy, okay? He got arrested several times. He was a biker, cussed like a sailor, been shot a few times. Like, he would joke around with the nurses about, do you have any metal in your body? And he's like, well, I've been shot, but they got the bullets out. And they're like, ha, 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 awkwardly, but it was true. Um, (laughs) If he can change him... I'm sure he can do anything. This man, I'm telling you, was on his Harley one time going 120 on the bypass, got pulled over. Some of you, if some of you guys are police officers, you may have recognized his photos. Um, he got pulled over, and he pulled out the Monopoly get-out-of-jail-free card and handed it to the officer. It was in the police report and everything. They didn't think it was very funny. Um, but I'm telling you, if he can soften that man, he can do anything. And if he can take somebody like me... A screwed up person like me who struggles with anger, who struggled with addiction, who has had a lot of chaos in their life, and bring me up here to teach. Like, if you would have told me 10 years ago I would be doing this, I would have laughed in your face. But he can take people, and he can change them, and he can do anything. So when Chris asked me to teach, I was afraid, because I was still so fresh in my grief from my dad's death, and I still am. Um... And those of you who have lost a loved one, you know what that's like. Like you go through all these phases and the texts stop and the phone calls stop and people kind of forget. And they're not trying to forget to be distant or hurtful. They just, life goes on, right? And your life goes on too, but it's different. So like this Thanksgiving, I celebrated the very first Thanksgiving without my dad. And I have so much to be thankful for and everyone around me does too, but I'm still hurting. So some of you can relate to that. 
Um, and so I was at the point when Chris asked me that I was like feeling really alone in my grief, like nobody could possibly understand. Um, and God showed me this scripture. And it's in John 12, uh, 27 through 28. And some of you have probably read this before, but if you haven't ever read it in the message version, I would encourage you to do that because when I read it through the message, it just stood out to me differently. And it says, right now I am storm-tossed. And what am I going to say? Father, get me out of this? No. This is why I came in the first place. I'll say, Father, put your glory on display. And this scripture was right before Jesus would go to die on a cross for you and me. And because he was human, and he dreaded it, and he was scared, and he had fear, he said no to his human desires, and he followed the will of his Father, because it would save all of us and glorify him. So when I thought about sharing my dad's story, and my story, and God's story in my life, God just said, put your glory on display. Father, put your glory on display through my hurt. I want people to know what he can do. Because when we come to the end of ourselves and let his glory be on display, I promise you he moves. And he's got this. I promise you. And you know, I'm coming to the end of myself again. Right now I'm praying because not even a month ago my mom was diagnosed with cancer. So you can imagine the fear that I had just losing my dad and now my mom has cancer. And that fear kind of took over. But, again, like the woman who touched Jesus' clothes, I'm touching heaven through my prayer and asking God to bring healing to my mom. And I know that he's going to because I'm praying confidently and I'm praying expectantly and I know that God's going to make it happen and he will move. So I wonder today, what if we came to the end of ourselves? What if we stopped trying to make our plans and let God lead? What if we stop trying to figure it out and quit putting God in a box? What if we believed in our prayers and we believed they would be answered as much as the woman believed that touched Jesus' garment? What if we fully surrendered and believed in what we asked for? And what if we asked knowing God will answer in order to put his glory on display? What if we truly believed that God's got this? Would you pray with me? God, thank you that you're in control. Thank you for my dad's story. Thank you for my story. And thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for faith like the woman who touched your garment, God. Help us to have faith like that. Thank you that we have direct communication to you through prayer and that you truly move when we believe. Help us to persevere in prayer. And thank you for reminding us that prayer is worth it. Please help us to pray confidently and expectantly and help us just to come to the end of ourselves, God, and to find you. I ask that you would put in people's minds here today, right now, what they've been praying for. Put in their mind something or someone, a struggle they've had or someone they've been praying for, and it seems impossible. God, just put that in their mind right now. And I ask that they would surrender it to you, that they would release it to you, that they don't have to control it, but that you would move in that situation. And maybe your prayer today is that you just can't do it alone anymore, that you need God in your life. And maybe you just want to reach out and touch Jesus today. 
If that's you, I invite you to say this prayer with me. And in fact, I invite everyone to pray out loud because no one ever prays alone here at the jar. So you can repeat after me. Heavenly Father, thank you for your forgiveness. I give my life completely to you. Jesus, save me from my sins. Make me brand new. I believe that you died and rose again so that I could live. Fill me with your Holy Spirit so I can know you, serve you, and follow you all the days of my life. My life is not my own. I give it to you. Thank you for new life. Now you have mine. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.